Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to another episode of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by NFL Draft analyst Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap, part of RiseAndDraft.com your go-to source for fantastic information regarding the NFL draft, great database, as well as a mock draft simulator. So today's episode, the goal is to go over the overview of the class. We did a mock draft on the last show. Got a really good response on the YouTube channel today. We're going to talk about various position groups, things you need to know about the class overall before we start to shift our focus into going into specific rankings of each position group. And that's where things are going to get really fun. That's where the arguments come out. And that'll be what will likely be up next as we start to focus on this draft cycle coming up for 2022. Before we get to that, though, folks, I just want to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and new updated desktop and mobile website. Uh, sorry, new year and new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today. That is not a sentence and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, guys, talking about this 2022 class, let's open up with the overall draft class thoughts. And I, I remember when we did this show, I even looked back at the notes that we did before the season started. And that was just Ryan and I on that show. And the big emphasis was how good this class is defensively. And we're going to probably end up highlighting some of those defensive position groups but it seems like things have stayed the same, if not strengthened, for how good of a defensive class this is going into the 2022 class. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah you go, Alex. You go. No, you go. I know. I, I want to switch it up. I want to switch it up. So, uh, <laughs> because my, my notes here uh, on the overall draft cl- class thoughts is kind of exactly what you're talking about here. This is just a defensive class. And like you, you touched on there at the beginning of the year, we kind of assumed that that would be the case. And, like you said, it's only strengthened. Aiden Hutchinson has only made that stronger. Uh, we knew about Kayvon Thibodeau. We knew about Derek Singley and Kyle Hamilton being, you know, three of the top probably five players in this class. Uh, but, you know, the the resurge, you know, the surge, the surge of David Ajabo, another Michigan edge rusher that's really put his name in that conversation. You know, there are Sauce Gardner fans all around 
the country. Devin Lloyd, you know, these are these are defensive names that have continued to climb up the board throughout the year. That just furthers that thought that this defensive class is the strong point of this year's, you know, the, the 2022 NFL draft. So, I mean, if you if you go on anybody's final big board, would I be surprised if eight out of the top ten names on that board are defensive players? No. It, probably 13 or so of the top 20 wouldn't surprise me really 20 of the top 30 you know so the majority of the the strength of this class especially at the top in the first round uh is really going to be defensive heavy and i think this really bodes well for some of the teams that carry multiple draft picks like the philadelphia eagles for instance who Mm. really a a low point of their you know uh their roster i mean you saw yesterday uh in their playoff game or you know this past weekend depending on when this is going to be posted the Eagles struggled defensively to, to, to slow down uh, Tampa's offense. So, uh, you know, going, going, having the opportunity to get two or three of these really top end defensive players in this year's class, three of the top 12 or so players in this class uh, could really bode well for them. Maybe not as much in year one, but years two, year three, uh, with a lot of the young talent they have uh, in that wide receiver core on offense, you know, they have, a, they have, they will suddenly have a really good core of young, good players uh, on both sides of the football, kind of balance out that roster. Yeah, I was looking at the back. Actually, I looked back to the notes too, Joe, about uh, the first show. And I, I think that my thought process is still the same. I think that I kind of carried the class in, in, in similar regards. Because last year in the 2021 cycle, we had a really offensive heavy draft. Like there were not a ton of like elite defenders near the top. I think this year it's adverse. Like we have a lot, it's a very heavy in favor defense versus offense. And I think when I kind of look at the position groups, like you said in your intro a little bit, I think defense has even gotten a little stronger, to be honest. Like we knew the edge group was great. We knew the cornerback group was great. Safety took a little dip because of Brandon Joseph not turning into what we thought he could be and now returning to school. Well, not returning to school, transferring to Notre Dame. But linebacker took a nice step forward as well. And I mean, I think defensive interior defensive line kind of stayed the same. Like I still don't think it's a great class, but I think overall the the boy of linebacker group has really taken that defensive unit up a notch. And then the offensive class, I feel like has kind of stayed relatively the same. You know, quarterback is a lot of question marks. I think there's depth to the class as far as guys that you want to develop. But I think the one spot on offense that really changed my opinion since the opening kind of remarks during summer scouting was the wide receiver group. Like, I loved Garrett Wilson in the summer, but my love has obviously increased on him. And guys like Traylon Burks and Jahan Dotson, I thought, took tremendous leaps forward. And now there's just guys that I am I'm good with. You know, I, I was hesitant on Drake London from USC. I was hesitant on Penn State's Jahan Dotson. I'm not hesitant anymore. So wide receiver group, group on the offensive side of the football, I think, took a huge step forward. And I think the defensive class is even stronger than maybe we originally anticipated. Yeah, going to be a lot of defensive players drafted highly, which won't be a shocking outcome come the start of the draft. And, and speaking on a specific strong position group, you guys seem to be in agreement that the edge class is really, really stacked this year, which isn't surprising. If you look at any mock drafts from any website, the top three picks always include Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. And then there's other guys that are, are gradually sprinkled in the first round like my Jay Sanders, like David Ajabo. So what are your guys' thoughts? Why are you picking the edge class to be the strongest? Well, I guess if, if I'm going to go first, and I apologize to anybody that's watching on YouTube for a second because they just saw me going like this for like a couple seconds. My daughter was <laughs> um, my daughter was over there with my wife, so I had to you know give her a little You're good. quick, quick, uh, <laughs> quick how you doing. Um, I think that uh, the edge, though, has 
amplified even higher than we thought. Because like Alex kind of said in his little excerpt, it's like we knew about Kayvon Thibodeau. We knew about George Karloftis to, you know, to a high degree. We knew about some of the bigger names. But Aiden Hutchinson took a huge step forward. He was viewed as kind of like a second round type of option when he was coming back into the class. And now he's viewed as a top five player. I don't, I don't think I necessarily agree with him being a top five player, but then we saw David Ajabo, who I think had like 19 career defensive snaps coming into the year. And now he might be a top 15 selection, like literally, I mean, just think about that for a second. It's, it's pretty absurd. And then you got guys like Cameron Thomas from San Diego state, who I think has a chance to go into the first round, a guy that was relatively unknown just because he's been playing in the mountain West and missed, you know, I mean, I think they played like four or five games last year, San Diego State with the COVID season and everything. So those kind of guys combined with the dudes we knew, I'm not a big Drake Jackson fan, but like Maje Sanders, Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma, I'm a big fan of. Kingsley Anigbari from South Carolina, I thought took a huge step forward. Jermaine Johnson, after transferring from Georgia to Florida State, had a phenomenal final season. I think he's a firm second-round player, like firm. So in my mind – we thought the edge class was going to be special, and now we're leaving, and I think it's even better than we originally thought it could be. It's a phenomenal class. Yeah. No, I, I second that. Like like you said, Joe, this is this is who I'm in agreement with. And, you know, I, the, the two big position groups that I really wanted to touch on, and I kind of went back and forth on which ones. You know, I want to talk about both, but which one do I want to put as strongest and which one do I want to put as deepest? And I know this may spoil something going on to the later of the show, but edge rusher for me uh, is the better of the classes uh, over the cornerback position, which is the other really, really impressive group of this year's class. Uh, just because, like you said, Ryan, you have three easily top 10 guys in this year's class, I think. Uh, and when you have one position dominating the top 10 with three of the top 10, uh, it's really, really impressive, especially at a position that's you know so highly coveted like you know the edge rusher position is. You touched on it, David Ajabo, and then the, the day two names. This class is just really, really stacked with names. Not only in the top 10, like I said, three of those guys I think are firm top 10 guys, but throughout the draft, I think there's there's names to like. And I think you touched on it perfect. This edge class is just really impressive from top to bottom. Yeah, not surprisingly, if we're taking the opposite look and talking about the weakest group, you guys both picked offensive position groups. Ryan, if we head to you first, you decided that the center position group was the weakest in the class, which makes a lot of sense. We had a number of guys go back to school. The only guy that's the headliner is Tyler Linderbaum. And after that, it, it's pretty thin. Like I can't even name off the top of my head who would be that next guy. Could you maybe shed some light who would be after that and where he projects? Obviously not a first rounder. Joe, did you have a Brian Kelly moment there for a second, man? Linderbaum? Linderbaum, I didn't. It wasn't intentional. Linderbaum, Linderbaum. I'm I just sorry, woke up. You know, I, know. I just woke up. <laughs> I, know, I know. For people that don't know, Joe's on the West Coast, so we're getting. Yeah, I have to. I have to accommodate to the the East Coasters times over here, but that didn't stop Alex from waking up later than I did. Whoa. <laughs> don't take it out of Don't take it out of context. Uh, <laughs> there is right, context anyway. to that. All right, the center group, Brian. Right. All right. Yes, center. Tyler Linderbaum gonna go first round. Very good player, scheme a little scheme dependent to an outside zone system, but hey, man, in that scheme, he is special, potentially. After that, I mean, I was excited in the summer. I remember talking about it. Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas, Jared Patterson from Notre Dame. I even like the, the uh, Schmitz kid from Minnesota that decided to go back. Like, I thought he was a potential day two type of player. So I have three guys that I think could have been top 
let's call them top 75 picks potentially after Linderbaum. Like that was very possible in my opinion between Schmitz, Patterson, and um, and Stromberg. But three of them decided to go back after this, man. Like I think it's a great question, Joe, because I did a live – I did a uh, sp- Twitter space the, uh, like last week where someone asked my opinion on the center class. This is why this kind of popped in my head. I don't know who the second guy is going to be. I have no mm. idea because, I mean, I'm seeing names like Alec Lindstrom from Boston College, solid football player, but limitations. Liam Shanahan from LSU, limitations. Cameron Jurgens, who's a really nice athlete out of Nebraska, but has limitations. I see Jim Nagy and some of the senior bowl guys trying to hype up Luke Fortner from Kentucky, who I think is a solid little player, but like, I don't think that he is a guy that should be drafted top two to three rounds. There's Luke Wattenberg from Washington and Jack Wallenbog from Duke and Doug Kramer from Illinois. There's a lot of names, but none of these guys, I would be comfortable spending a top three round selection. Like I don't see top hundred players in this class outside of Tyler Linderbaum. So I literally have one first-round player and then a bunch of day three. Talk about a drop-off. This class drops completely off a table after number one. Like, I don't know if there's a guy that you try to – that rises to a second-round pick. There there honestly will be because teams are going to get desperate for a center at some point because it is an important position. But I do not see a guy. Like, I don't see a guy that I'd be comfortable to spend the top 100 pick on right now. So, for me – Center, like I don't see any day two depth. I don't see any quality depth after Tyler Linderbaum. I see a bunch of day three guys. So that's for me why it's the most troubling position of the 2022 class right now for me. Well, Ryan, I have a question for you, and I think this just yep. makes for good content uh, for a lot of our, our listeners here. Is like you're looking at some of these guys that played guard heavy in, in college. Yeah. What does what does that projection look like for maybe someone that played a lot of guard? Uh, you know. In, at the collegiate level that may be able to transition. We've seen some guards transition to center once they get to the NFL, but do you, maybe do you have any like uh, recommend, like, you know, any projections on who could do that, who could be that guy uh, that could be in that day two range and then kind of talk about that transition. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question too, Alex. And I think tackles honestly could be in that conversation as well. Some college tackles, I think kind of have that, 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 yeah. um, Stumpy or profile, build. yeah, stumpy or build, but like the just the profile, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a smooth mill, a smooth mover, good communicator type of background. I did want to mention a couple guys that like are a little off the radar to a degree because they have played a little guard and played in other spots. I think Nick Ford could maybe be the saving grace from Utah, but I, I don't, I don't know if he's even officially declared for the draft. I need to kind of check in on that one. Donovan West from Arizona State's another. Scheme dependent player who's only played one year at center at Arizona State played the majority um, of at guard actually for the Sun Devils so he might be in the conversation but two guys I think are worth watching that were actually college tackles one guy that we had on this podcast before and shout out to Jim Nagy again made us look very smart I believe because we kind of put his name out there and then he got a senior bowl invite like two days later Luke Gadecki from Central <laughs> Michigan man I'm telling you. Like, it was really good timing. It was, it was crazy timing. Fantastic nobody, timing. Nobody was talking about. I remember that nobody really like was necessarily talking about him. He yeah. gets the invite two days after we put out the interview, and then suddenly everyone's talking about him. And that that interview did very well on the YouTube because of that. Because everyone's like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And then everyone was talking about how great he was. 
<laughs> well, I mean, so he played on the other side of Bernard Raymond, who's, of course, a senior bowl invite as well, left tackle for Central Michigan. And I remember watching Central Michigan. I'm just like, who's 67 at right tackle? Like, he's a decent player, man. Like, I don't think he's a tackle. And I actually think that he could be a center because I think he he's a former tight end on the Division three level, I believe, actually. So he's a smooth kid, very smart, intelligent, and that's based upon speaking to him and just talking ball for a few minutes. I think that he – I mean, he could definitely be a guard at the next level, but I would be very curious to see if some teams do view him as a center because I think he kind of has mm. that profile. I see it a little bit with a Luka Deck. And the last guy is actually a guy that we had on the show as well that I just kind of forgot about for a second. So Nick Zakel, who Joe knows, Fordham, um, starting left tackle for Fordham Rams up there in New York. And he is another senior bowler who – Third, he's like six four and some chains, near six five, but he's got like thirty two inch arms. He just doesn't have the length. And I have actually talked to Nick, and he told me that some teams that kind of went through Fordham this year actually did speak to him about center. Like they think that there's a potential there. So mm-hmm. he's not a day two player. Like he's not going to go second or third round. But when we start talking about the center development developmental prospects, to Alex's point of the position transitions to center. Round four through six, I think, is kind of the sweet spot for a guy like Nick Sakel. I think he's definitely draftable, and I would be very interested to see him. So a couple tackle converts that might make that selection, is uh, that transition, as well as Nick Ford, depending on if he's declared or not, and Donovan West, who's a little scheme-specific. So there are some guys, though, Alex, to answer your question. There are definitely some guys, and I think that they could help buoy the class. But even with a couple of those, man, I still think that it's kind of a down year, to be honest. So Absolutely. It's funny that we ended up going the deepest on the weakest position group, but that's great stuff because I think a lot of people are asking that question is, who the hell is next after Linderbaum? Hopefully I pronounced Linderbaum. it. <laughs> Linderbaum. I don't, know, I don't know why the hell I, I did it like that. Um, <laughs> flipping things to you, Alex. I, I Whenever I'm like in the process of... I should have woken up earlier. <laughs> but flipping, flipping to you, Alex, I, I'm intrigued that you picked tight end. And I think that this is uh, another safe pick. Like I don't think anyone's going to argue with you about yeah. this because I don't, I don't know of any tight ends that I've seen that have been in the first round conversation. And frankly, I'm not entirely sure who would be in the day two conversation it feels like it's it's like that class where um, we had. Oh my god, I'm blanking on the kid's name. Who's the the Notre Dame tight end that went to the Bears? Oh, uh, Komet. Cole Komet. Cole Komet. It, uh, it yeah. feels like that class. It feels uh, eerily similar to <laughs> to that Cole Komet class. But you're you're going with tight end. Jaleel Billingsley did not pan out the way that I think that we had hoped, and now he's going to go play at Texas. Maybe he revitalizes that draft stock a little bit. Um, but why did you pick the tight end class? Yeah, I think you going back to the the Cole Komet class is you know kind of kind of a good point there. I think as far as like where the value is at tight end and where these guys are going to be selected, you're going to see a couple of them go fringe day two, day three, or excuse me, fringe round two, round three, middle of day two. Um, but I just don't know how many impact players you have in this class. And I think, like you said, I kind of played it safe with this selection because I don't think there is anyone that's really going to argue with me. Uh, Trey McBride, you know, is a good football player. I still have to watch 2022 stuff on him. I haven't got around to it. I'm just going to be down on Jalen Weidermeyer. That's let's just face it. I think he's an early day three guy. I just don't love him as a prospect. Um, and then, you know, Kate Otten, I've come around to, I think he's a, he's a day two guy, but after that, like 
you have a basically a wide receiver in Isaiah Likely. Jake Ferguson's a, a good at every, you know, a fine at everything, great at nothing kind of guy. Um, you know, Cole Turner's a name that has some upside, but I don't see him being an impact player till year two, year three. I just there's not as many names. And if you look back, obviously, if we're comparing to last year's class, we had two really, really good tight end, you know, prospects, including Kyle Pitts, who might be the best tight end prospect ever. Uh, Pat Fryermuth being the other that I was and referring he to. Right, right. And, and Fryer, yeah. So, you know, I, I, maybe this is just me comparing classes, which you shouldn't always do. But looking back from last year to this year, I think this is a big drop off as far as talent at the top. And then I think there may be like four or five names just in general in this class that I'm even interested in long term in the NFL. Ryan, any thoughts on the, the tight end group? Yeah, I, I think that it's kind of been overbuilt, to be honest with you. I, I think a lot of people, like I keep seeing people saying like, oh, man, the greatest tight end group to ever go to the Senior Bowl in like the history of world. What? And I'm just like, yeah, just man. Charlie Kohler? <laughs> uh, man, I, and I'm looking at the list and I'm just like, besides for Trey McBride, is there another guy on that Senior Bowl list that you would bet money on being a more than a second or third tight end option? Like I don't exactly. see starters mm-hmm. in that group. And like you said, Joe, like, and I think Alex kind of, Correlated as well. It's like we were excited about Jalil Billingsley in the in the summer, and he was maybe the guy that was going to take a rise. And obviously, he's playing at Texas next year, which is crazy. How like his projection has fallen a little bit, and people keep trying to make Jalen Widermeyer a thing, even though Jalen Widermeyer was bad this year, despite having to be a catch point guy with hands that can't catch consistently. It's fantastic. Whoa, ho, ho! But then there are redeeming qualities like McBride, like Kate Otten. They're not flashy players. But I do think when we're comparing him a little bit to, like you said, Joe, to like a, like a, um, when you compare him to Cole Komet, I do think Trey McBride's a better prospect than Cole Komet, just based upon everything that I've seen. I do think that he's kind of similar to a Kate Otten. I think they're kind of like in the, in the same ballpark type of thing, like mid second round type of players. And I do think there is redeeming depth, like the Jake Ferguson's of the world and some of these, Lower level tight ends, while they might not be stars, I do think that there's quality second to third tight ends in this class. I just think that people need to kind of like take a step back. And I know we get like in this mo- moment where like everything, you know, everything some all star staff say, we kind of take for everything, you know, like we don't have a kind of outside opinion on things. But I don't think this tight end group is nearly as good as people act like it is, at least the depth. I don't see a lot of depth. I see a bunch of guys that will cling on the rosters and will have roles and, and, you know, two to three tight end sets. I see that, but honestly, like I am not comfortable looking at this class right now and saying outside of Trey McBride and maybe Kate Otten, I wouldn't even put, I wouldn't even put Weidermeyer in that list. I, I don't see guys that I would say are starters at the next mm-hmm. level. I see a couple starters and a bunch of role players, which is fine, but also you also don't have that first round guy either. So like you don't have the top of the end of the class. You have a, you have a bevy of day two players, which is cool. But it's just not – I think it's just an overrated class, to be honest. Like, I, I try to quantify it the best I can, but I just think people have kind of ran with a notion and created a false narrative to a degree. And that's interesting, too, to, to highlight this group as overrated as well. It, it'll be interesting to see the 2023 class because of all these transfers that we got. Well, and Michael Mayer, baby. Michael, Michael Mayer. Mayer. Michael, Michael Mayer, Mayer, possibly, and likely the headliner what, of that group. What, let, let Brock Bowers into the 2023 group too. Let's Man. have a real battle. Could Let's you have a battle. Imagine if, if if he fit into that class. Holy crap! 
Dude, how much fun would that be? Because they're so different, but they're both fantastic. Like, they're so different. Bowers is like that flex dude who's stupid athlete, not the greatest blocker. And then Mayer's like that big physical. Like He's like your Gronk. He's like like Gronk, right. Like, he's a straight-line dude who's got a little bit of flexibility, Mm -hmm. but, like, he's more of an inline traditional guy. I would love to see the battle Mm -hmm. for tight end one between Brock Bowers and Michael Mayer. Unfortunately, we're never going to see. Wait, okay, tell t- tell me if I'm forcing a comp here. Tell me if I'm forcing oh, no. comps here. Wait, 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 wait. Um, off the top of my head, just having watched these guys in games and not doing any evaluation, so I think that it's fair to say that Mayer is a can be considered a direct comparison to Gronkowski, and I know that's that's you know high ceiling for him to hit. What about Bowers? More comparative to like a Travis Kelsey, or is that not fit? too bad joe it's not bad it's okay um i was i would say the mayor one is i mean people hate the baby gronk stuff but like but it fits he's a good blocker he's really aggressive i mean he 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 powers through tackles like stuff like that is gronkish yeah we're we're not predicting him to be robert gronkowski we're saying he plays like robert gronkowski (laughs) and he does in my opinion and I don't know why I just called him Robert Gronkowski. Robert Gronkowski. <laughs> <That's weird. laughs> I actually don't. Lo- I don't hate the Kelsey comp, man, because I mean the biggest thing that I take away from Bowers just watching from afar is that kid is. I mean, he's obviously he needs to grow into his body a little bit. He's a little thin right now, mm-hmm. but man, he is as flexible of an athlete as I've seen a tight end. Man, like he moves uncommonly well in tight spaces for a tight end. Like it's. It's freaky. That that screen that he took for the for touchdown oh, yeah. in the national championship game, that sh- that start stop there, that short area burst. I was like, dude, that is that's silly. Yeah, you gotta like, quit. Yeah, <laughs> some wide receiver, some wide receivers can't even do that. Like that was silly stuff. That doesn't even that just doesn't happen. It's odd, but yeah, it's crazy. The only podcast talking twenty twenty four tight ends in the country. I good, good luck finding another podcast because it's Georgia. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk to Alex about Georgia winning the national championship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wasn't yeah, gonna yeah, bring it up. Too. I don't want to be that. Guy. Guy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool hat. Yes, yeah, no. If, if Notre Dame won, you know that Ryan and I wouldn't shut uh, the hell up. That, so. That's a that's a fre- that's a Fresno State hat. That's not a Georgia hat. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is a cool hat. I like that hat. All right, let's wrap up with talking about the deepest class here. And Alex, let's head to you first because we haven't heard from you in the past five minutes. Uh, All right. Ryan wanted to talk about future tight ends. <laughs> you brought <laughs> it up. You, you brought it up. Yeah, you, you did bring it up. Don't put that on there. All right. You alluded to the fact that there is a, a really deep corner class. And you look at the names that sprinkle into the first round. It makes a lot of sense why this class is deep. You, you go with Stingley, who dealing with some injury stuff, and, and it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion for him to be a top 10 pick, maybe because of those things. And we'll know more once there is medical right. checks and after the combine. But you also get Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. You've got Sauce Gardner. There are a lot of names that are starting to rise, and there's always that possibility that some of these other guys that maybe are less talked about, like we've seen in past classes like a Greg Newsom who slides into the first round like we we have potential for stuff like that to happen yeah uh, well let's see over under five and a half corners go in the first round I'm saying over under I could you really under let me think let me think okay let's play this game I love this game yeah this it's a good fun. game okay Stingley Booth yes. Sauce Gardner yes. yeah Garner's, Garner's going first round you think so? Whether, you, like, just off a name, he's whether, go. whether you want him to or not, like he's going first round. I think I'm going five. I, I, Kyer I Elam. Yeah. Kyer Elam's going first round. And then and McDuff, McDuffie. I'll McDuffie. McDuffie. So like then it's just one of 
Just McCreary's, like- got, McCreary's got fans. Darion Kendrick, I know he's got some off-the-field questions, but talent could go first. That's probably the end of the road as far as potential first-rounders. But I'm saying one of those two, six. There's going to be like a random dude that just Yeah, gets Marcus Jones is going to go first round because of his Marcus <laughs> Jones, chill out. No, but he he kind of goes to the the point of depth here. You know, Marcus Jones more, more so of a <laughs> late day two, early day three guy. That yeah. uh, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal special teams player. Um, but I just think that, you know, we talked, we, we're talking about probably six or so, five, six names that are going to go in the first round. There's going to be some guys in day two. And I know Kobe Bryant's got some fans. I feel like he's been at uh, Cincinnati for like nine years. Um, you know, Kyler Gordon, another corner from Washington, more of an inside guy, I think could uh, uh, do really well. Elante Taylor's a name that could be a day three pick that has some upside. Uh, you know, there's, there's just names sprinkled in and, and obviously I know you're going to touch on the edge class a little bit more here, Ryan, but, uh, this is, I think this is just a testament that these two classes are, in my opinion, far and away, the top two classes from a positional standpoint, um, in this year's class for me, as far as comparing them to what you typically see in an average draft. I think, I think the corner talent this year's draft, um, uh, from a depth perspective, as well as just from a number of guys that you could see go early, uh, is really impressive. I know we we've had a couple of really good corner classes here uh, over the last few years, uh, and then you, you're going to touch on edge, like I said, and I think that's a really deep class as well. So I think this is just further touching the point of this defensive side of the football in this year's class is really really strong. Yeah, and I think that cornerback it's weird we had a couple guys declare that i'm just kind of like why would you declare this year of all spots like this is a really yeah. deep cornerback group because we saw and i'm not saying that i mean all right so let's let's name him martin emerson from mississippi state who is a talented player length for days skin at mississippi state it's very skinny <laughs> but like he has traits for sure but like why would this be the class that you choose to declare early like i'm just looking at him at one Jalen Armour Davis from Alabama just declared too. And I'm just like, why this? Oh, class I missed that one. And he's coming off an injury. I'm just like, why would this be the class that you feel it's necessary to declare early? Like I just couple guys, Kyler McMichael, I think is another one from UNC. I believe was a fourth year junior. He declared Vincent Gray from Michigan, all guys that have like some traits that you're excited about, but I just don't understand why. I mean, just to illustrate Alex's point of like it being such a deep class. It's extraordinarily deep. And then we even get, we're even getting some guys that have traits that just keep declaring that. I just don't understand exactly what their long, long-term long goal is there. Like, I, I think that, you know, it's going to be difficult for them to not only get drafted where they want, but then with so much volume of so many good corners coming into the league, like, it might be difficult for them to even hit, make roster spots with what we're looking at right now. So just a quick illustration. I think Edge is kind of the same, Joe, to be honest with you. It's like – Again, I went through it, and I, I'm going to kind of reiterate some picks. I mean, some points here. Kayvon Thibodeau, David Ajabo, George Karloftis, Aiden Hutchinson. Not necessarily in that order, but I think they all have an opportunity to go top 10, top 15. Like, I think I think Cameron Thomas has a very good chance to go in the first round. And in the first round, uh, Trayvon Walker, who I didn't mention before, has an opportunity to go late first round. I wouldn't necessarily draft him there, but from everything I'm hearing, their opportunity is there. Logan Hole from Houston is going to go top two rounds from from words of it. Drake Jackson is going to go top two, top three rounds because of traits alone. Myjay yes. Sanders has been in that conversation. Kingsley Enigbare, Jermaine Johnson, uh, the th- second, I believe is what he is. I don't think he's the third. Nick Benito from Oklahoma is kind of a stand-up rusher. 
Arnold Ebiketti, who's just rock solid for Penn State. Alex Wright, who um, Corey Kinnon here at RisingDraft.com loves yeah. Alex Wright. I think he gave him a second-round grade from UAB, and he's got that hasn't been talked about much. Sam Williams from Ole Miss is a guy that's incredibly talented who's just had some off-the-field demons. Boy Moff from – or Maffe, I think is how you pronounce it, from mm-hmm. Minnesota is a freak of nature. D'Angelo Malone's one of my favorite guys from Western Kentucky. Yeah. He's a stand-up rusher. Tyree Johnson's a guy that I really like from Texas A&M as a stand-up rusher. There are dudes for days in all different styles, too, which makes it really exciting. I mean, Joe, I just need, what, like 10 to 15 guys right there? And you could keep going. Yeah. Like, there's just – Josh Pascal. Yeah, you could – Josh Pascal and Ali Fayed from Western Michigan has been a very productive player. And Scott Pascal started a – yeah. Isaiah Thomas was a guy that I mentioned very briefly. Dominic Robinson, who's go, now going to the Senior Bowl for Miami, Ohio, who's a tight end convert, a former wide receiver, I think, when he first got to campus at Miami, Ohio. So there's dudes everywhere, man. There are top echelon talent. There's a bevy of day two p- prospects, I think, that could serve a role. And then there's developmental guys all that are throughout. So for me, this edge group, is, it's, it's insane depth. I've never seen a group, I don't think, in my – time evaluating for like, I think it's my sixth or seventh cycle. And I can't remember a position group in any draft that I thought was as deep as this edge group. It's just absurd. Yeah. I don't know if I'm, I'm alone here, but when you're just bored, you just run through a quick little mock draft, right? Like with, with your favorite team, that little seven rounder. And I find myself using the rise and draft simulator. Yeah. yeah <laughs> using the rise and draft simulator. Thank you. NFL mock draft database for that one. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I definitely I run through that all the time and I continue to find myself having three or four names uh, the edge rusher position that I end up taking for the Falcons which is needed but I just continue to find value and that's just you know there's just so many names in this year's class and breaking news on the pod I found out while you were going through Ryan one of the edge rushers that's names kind of risen over time has announced he's going back to school in uh, Nolan, Nolan Smith, Smith. Just declared. He, no, he's going back to school. He's he's sorry, to school. he just announced that. That was what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like just happened, like five minutes ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I, yeah, there's uh, some things circulating that he's a big academic guy, so I think uh, getting his degree is big for him. So, well, good for, for him. Smith. Good for Georgia. It's easier to do that now with that <laughs> nil money. Um, I think that's good note to wrap us up on. As you folks can see, this is a great defensive class. There are a lot of names that we're going to highlight. That Edge show, I think, is going to be really, really fun to do. Mm-hmm. And either the next pod episode, not interview, obviously, we get, we're we're going to keep rolling through with those interviews, but the next pod episode uh, will either start our, our position group breakdowns or we might do another topic-based show. Just have to map out how much time we have before things start to really kick off. Senior Bowl is also not too far around the corner so we've got some stuff to talk about with that as well be sure to hit subscribe on the youtube channel follow us on twitter at nfl prospects pod at joe de leon at rise and draft at alex skills trap head to rise for more nfl draft analysis enjoy the rest of your day folks we will talk to you soon For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.